Would you stand or remain standing as we read the word of the Lord from Mark 5, 21 through 43? And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be well, made well and live. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I even touch his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of their synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in to where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Thanks for reading, Wade and Sarah. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for these stories of sickness and of death that speak uh, to us uh, in this, our very uh, moment of uh, sickness. Uh, and so I pray that you would give us now uh, peace in our hearts, peace in our minds, peace in our lives, peace with one another. 
and that from your touch that we would receive uh, that peace in this Advent season. We pray it in the name of Christ, who is our peace. Amen. So one of the most common pictures I think I've seen in the last nine months on, I don't know, I'd say 80% of news articles that I've read has a picture of a person in a hazmat suit, right? You see, like, every time you see a new, new news article, there's somebody in a hazmat suit, and we have these, you know, you walk into Lowe's or whatever, and there's employees wearing a big sticker that says, please stay six feet away. We're in this age of social distancing and COVID and hazmat suits being like a normal thing that you see like when you drive all over the place, when you watch on TV, there's even ads now. You know, people in ads have masks, people in ads have hazmat suits on. We're just like inundated with the reality of, of sickness, sickness and death that's contagious, right? Sickness isn't just you being sick, but there's this sickness that if you have it, I could have it. If I have it, you could have it. We could pass it around, and so we wear our masks and our hazmat suits. And we are just constantly, from the minute we get up, Till the minute we go to bed, inundated with the fear of sickness and death. All right? That's what every news article, that's what every time you put your mask on, we are inundated and reminded that we are mortal, that we are weak, that we are sick, that we are dying. So I read these two passages this week and I thought to myself, this is a perfect passage for this moment. I, maybe we should just preach on this passage every single week. Right? <laughs> because every single week we have the same situation. And so in these two stories, Jesus meets with, looks head on into the very thing that we now find ourselves dealing with constantly, which is this fear of sickness and this fear of death. And in Jesus' reaction, I want today for us to see and think about Jesus' heart for people who are sick and who are dying. And as we'll see, that's all of us. Right? You don't have to have COVID-19 to be sick. You don't have to be COVID, have COVID-19 to be dying. That's the reality that we find ourselves in. And we like to pretend it's not there, but that's our reality. And so what is Jesus' heart deep inside of him? What does he feel towards those who are sick and those who are dying? So let's look at these two stories and see what Jesus does and how we can see his heart in how he responds to these two people. And there's, these two stories are sandwiched together. I, I introduced this about four or five weeks ago, this thing Mark does where he creates a sandwich. He takes two stories and he separates one of them and then sticks another story in the middle. And you see that here, the story of Jarius begins, kind of introduces it. And then he, Jesus, or Mark goes away and tells a different story. And then he comes back and finishes the other story. And there's similarities in this story. There's, there's actually a lot of similarities, especially between the woman who's healed and Jarius's daughter, Um, We're not going to look at all those, but if you are interested, you can go and pick out a lot of these similarities. Um, But just like the last time we looked at a sandwich, the middle story is really where the content is. It's what Mark really wants to get across. It helps explain the overall structure, the overall flow of the narrative, and why he's writing it like this. And the one thing that is consistent between both of these stories is that both of these people, Jarius on the one hand and then this woman who's unnamed on the other, is that these are desperate people. They've run out of their own uh, option to change what's happening, and they come to Jesus. They interact with Jesus at one of at their most desperate moment. They're full of sickness, full of death. They're afraid. They're in fear. They're processing this, and then they come in contact with Jesus. So I want to start. I want to use 
uh, my little outline in my own mind today is a medical outline. We have a little diagnosis, and then we see the physician, and then we see the prognosis. So that's how we're going to move through this. So let's look at the diagnosis of these two people and just start with the, the story here of Jairus. It says, when Jesus crossed again in the boat to the other side, again, we're around the lake. Most of what happens in Mark so far has been around the, the lake, the uh, up in Galilee, and a great crowd again gathered around him, and he was beside the sea, which the Sea of Galilee is a lake. That's why I called it a lake. It's not, it's not a large sea that you would think of. It's pretty small. Um, then one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, saw him, and he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with her. Here's Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, it says, and that um, would kind of maybe in our context be like a community group leader. It's somebody who has leadership in the church. They're not, they're not like the, the pastor, but they're leading. They're a person with, with kind of leadership ability in the church, and this is this person. And you see this, this man, he's, he's named. He has a name. His name is Jairus. He comes straight up to Jesus. He comes Right, you met all these people around, and he just walks right up to Jesus and says, hey, will you come with me? And he's just like, sure, I'll go with you. You see, there's like, he has influence. Later on in the story, we find out he kind of has an entourage. Like, he's talking to Jesus, he's with him, and his, his people show up, and they're like, hey, uh, your daughter has died, leave him alone. So on the one hand, here's Jairus, this is an important person who's already in the, in the church, sort of, he's a leader, but he's still at this point of desperation, and he asks Jesus to go with him, and Jesus says, yes. So they maybe turn down and walking. I want you to imagine this scene. People are th- flocking, thronging around Jesus you know, because he's done all these miracles. And here's Jairus, walks up and says, hey, will you come help me? And Jesus is like, yes. And so he starts going with them. And then the story gets interrupted because he's walking down the street. They're walking towards his house. I don't know how far it was. They're going down. There's people everywhere. And then Mark writes the next part of the story. A great crowd followed him and thronged about him. It's just, it's descriptive. They're all around him. Verse 25, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Notice the difference between the woman and Jairus. She's unnamed. She has no position he comes at Jesus from the front. She has to come secretly, right? He doesn't know that she's there. He's, she's not calling out, asking for help. She comes secretly. She has no people. She has no entourage to be with her. She's alone. She's by herself. Whereas Jairus feels important, she is completely, it seems, unimportant. And look at the description of her, of her condition. This is the diagnosis of her, dis, of, of, her dis, uh, of her condition. And this just struck me as I read it. There was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And then this verse is amazing. And who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. Mark is like heaping these things up. It's like she had this condition. You're like, okay. And she had suffered under the hand of many physicians. And she had spent all she had. And she's growing worse. She's at the lowest point of her entire life life. And the thing to understand about this description is that this discharge of blood that she has, the Bible talks a lot about discharge of blood. Blood is important in the Bible. And when you get to Leviticus, the rules for the Jews, you don't have to turn there, but Leviticus 15 says this. 
If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge she shall continue in uncleanness. As in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. So for the 12 years that this woman is desperately struggling with this sickness, she's legally unclean. She can't go into any place that requires cleanness. Anything she touches, a bed, a, a, a piece of clothing, it becomes unclean as well. So you imagine this woman's walking around, she's kind of shedding uncleanness behind her. It's like the, the COVID-19 person, right? They're just like shedding COVID-19 everywhere they go. And everyone, you can just kind of see if they knew this, they're like they're putting their face masks on around this woman because she's unclean. She's not going to spread the discharge to her, to them, but legally, uncleanness is contagious in Jewish life. This moral impurity is shedding around her until she suffered and she's spent all she has and she continues. There's this downward spiral. And the thing that struck me the most in pondering that sentence is this, in this chronic illness, she had suffered under many physicians. She had suffered under many. She'd gone to doctor after doctor after doctor. If you have a chronic illness or know someone who has a chronic illness, you know what this is like. You go to this doctor and they tell you to do this and you do it and it doesn't help. You go to this doctor and they tell you to do this and they, you're so desperate to, to be fixed from your sickness and all it does is create more suffering. And I wonder how many of us identify with her in that. Right? How many of us have something in our life that fits this category? That we've tried and tried and tried and tried to remove it, to get past it, to be healed from it, and all that seems to happen is the suffering just continues to pile up. Right? This could be emotion, something emotional. This woman has a physical sickness. Maybe it's a physical sickness. But maybe it's an emotional sickness. Maybe it's in a relational sickness. You have a relationship that's broken and you try to fix it and every email you send and every phone call you have just makes it worse. Every counselor you go see just makes it worse. Maybe it's family strife. We all have families and all of our families have strife. You get in a family you have strife. It's, like a, it's just a truism. It's a fact. We try to fix it. We try to do this. We try to... It, does, it just makes it worse. We have a pandemic. We try to do what we're supposed to do, and then the pandemic gets worse. Like we, you see how this corruption, this brokenness that we have in our world, it's in all of us. We all experience it. And we're seeking relief from so many physicians. Right? There's so many different places that we go that promises to fix us. Like it's the, every time you watch TV and you see a commercial for um, a, uh, like a medicine for a particular sickness, ever, this has ever struck you, right? Like there's, they're talking about a, some, some sickness and here's a medication and there's like a person and they're like frolicking through the, through the golden fields while it's sunset and everything in their life is perfect. Like you take this medicine, your life will be like perfect. There's, all these doctors are promising relief everywhere we go. I mean, sometimes this sickness or illness, like for this woman, it takes over our life. It becomes the only thing we can think about. It becomes the only thing that's dominating our entire mindset. But for a lot of us, maybe, 
who live in modern America, who are sort of middle class people, it's a, these are secret sufferings. Right? Maybe you walk out and you have whatever this thing is, whatever your brokenness is, and you feel the shame of it every time you leave your house. But for many of us, we hide the shame. We stuff the shame down. We pretend the shame isn't there. We pretend the pain isn't there. And we walk around and we carry with us, dying on the inside with this, this corruption that comes from sin. Just like this woman, seeing doctor after doctor after doctor after doctor. And how many of us have, are on this journey of seeking after doctor after doctor to fix whatever we feel like is broken? And so this woman comes and she seeks Jesus. Like this is, to me, in, in my mind, for her, this is, this is just like the next doctor. Like she spent 12 years and here's just another guy. Maybe, if, maybe this guy will have the thing that I need. And so she goes after him in this place of desperation to get her healing. She just wants to get her healing and disappear. You see that? Like she's gonna grab, she's gonna grab his robe hoping that maybe that will help. It, amazingly to her, I think it does. And then she wants to disappear. But I want you to see Look, I want to spend most of our time here. What does Jesus do with this woman? Look at this. Three things. The first thing that Jesus does after the woman touches his cloak and she is healed is that he moves towards the sickness, not away from it. He moves towards her. He does the same with Jairus. Jairus says, hey, my daughter is dying. Will you come with me? And he says, and the text says, Jesus went with him. Like this idea of being with is essential to understanding the character of Jesus. Or the songs we just sang, Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, the angel says, you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. John chapter 1, the word became flesh and dwelt with us. A few of us are reading a book by Athanasius called On the Incarnation that talks about uh, from a, you know, a writer 1,700 years ago, what the incarnation is. And in our reading for this week was this sentence. It says, it was our sorry case that caused the word Jesus to come down. It was our transgression that called out his love for us so that he bade haste to help us and appear with us. You see, we don't understand this because we hate sickness and death. We'd rather stay in our homes rather than get sick or the possibility of sickness. There's, there's Michael Scott from The Office. Remember this? One of my favorite lines. He says, I hate hospitals. In my mind, they are associated with sickness. We, just, we hate things associated with sickness. I, I've been most of my adult life, I've gone hating hospitals, hating I, I get nervous thinking about having to go into the hospital because it just reminds me of sickness and death and we don't like that. We don't understand. We want it to be as far away as possible. I had this very visceral experience a few years ago in a, uh, in a, bus, in a bus stop in Boston. I was traveling by myself to go see uh, a friend uh, up in north of Boston and I, it was like I left Providence, Rhode Island at almost like 9.30 at night on a train and rode the hour up to Boston and then I had to wait for the next train, the 1 a.m. train out of Boston to go up to my stop. And so I'm sitting in a Boston bus stop in the middle of the night and you're kind of, you're like, it's like kind of underground and I'm looking around and I'm seeing people, human beings. And I don't know what you picture when you think of a Boston bus stop at one o'clock in the morning. It's not a pretty sight. It's a lot of 
the things about humanity that we would like to pretend don't exist. Homelessness, d- deep, dark brokenness. People who are homeless and sick and addicted to drugs and just, they're, they're just there in the train station. And I remember seeing that and having this like recoil in my heart in being in this place at one o'clock in this morning with these people. And it's one of the few moments in my life where I just, I knew in that, I repented in that moment because I felt Jesus say to me, do you know what you're saying? I came for those people. I didn't come for you. This is what he says to the Pharisees. I didn't come for you. I came for, this is who I came for. Because Jesus moves towards sickness and death. And we project onto Jesus our hatred of sickness and death and our fear of sickness and death. And Jesus sees it and he runs towards it. So he says, hey, 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 who touched me? I want to know. Where's the sickness? I need to see this. I need to be there. It's like he's magnetized to sickness and brokenness and corruption and death. That's where Jesus is. Dane Dane Ortland is a pastor. He just wrote a book called... uh, forget what it's called, something in lowly, it's from the scriptures, but he says this, the dominant note left ringing in our ears after reading the gospels, the most vivid and arresting element of the portrait of Jesus is the way the holy son of God moves towards, touches, embraces, and forgives those who least deserve it yet truly desire it. This is Jesus' love, compassion, You peel him back, you poke him, what comes out? Love, compassion, mercy, gravitating towards the sickness. Jesus is moving towards your brokenness. Whatever that thing is, Jesus moves towards it like a magnet. We don't clean up our act before we come to Jesus. Because what Jesus is after, what he's gravitating towards, is our sickness and our sin and our brokenness and our death. So in a small way, it's one of the reasons that I've never loved the idea of getting dressed up for church. It's fine. There's, reasons, there's good reasons to do that too. But in some sense, we get dressed up and we come in here and we're like, and Jesus is like, what? These, this, these aren't the people I came for. This isn't what I came here for. This isn't what this is about. Where's the person that touched me that needs healing? Where's the sickness? So much of our experience of Christianity, my experience of Christianity is being not like those people. I don't know what those people are in your mind. It's like, is it people of a different political conviction? Is it people of a different race? Is it people of a different social class? Is it people who are rioting? Is it people who are in prison? Is it the guy next door that has a bad lawn? That's me. I have a bad lawn. Like, what do you disdain about the people around you? Jesus gravitates to that. What do you disdain about yourself? What is that sickness, that thing that draws you down that you can't get rid of? Jesus gravitates towards that. He goes with you in that. Do you know this? Do you know the Jesus that gravitates towards your brokenness and your pain and your sickness? Do you know that Jesus? But Jesus does, doesn't move towards. Like he moves us towards the woman. He goes with Jairus. He moves towards. But Jesus' cleanness, this is the second thing, Jesus' cleanness is contagious, not the other way around. 
Right, here's the rest of Leviticus 15, and I reference this. After describing what the woman with a discharge, after saying she's unclean, it says this, every bed on which she lies, all the days of her discharge shall be to her as the bed of impurity. And everything on which she sits shall be unclean. And whoever touches these things shall be unclean and shall wash his clothes and bathe himself with water and be unclean until the evening. Spewing impurity everywhere. Maybe that's how you feel sometimes. This is Mike referenced this uncleanness last week. It's not physical uncleanness, although these things are linked, obviously. But it's, it's a moral purity. This woman is spewing moral impurity and anyone who touches her becomes morally impure by Jewish law. So by touching Jesus, that's like a crime. She's not allowed to do that because she'll transfer her uncleanness to him. Do you see that? Not only is she in this suffering, but she has to be away from people because she's spewing that all over. This like moral impurity, uncleanness in Judaism is it's COVID-19 of Judaism. And so Jesus would be unclean by touching her, but that's not what happens, right? When she touches Jesus, instead of the virus being transferred to Jesus, cleanness is transferred the other way back. It's like if all of a sudden we heard a news report of a doctor who didn't need to wear a mask or a hazmat suit when interacting with COVID patients because not only did he not get COVID, but he transferred COVID negative to the people he was dealing with. That's Jesus. He's transferring like cleanness to you instead of we're so used to, you know, we trying to stay away from bad things happening. We don't realize that when you engage with Jesus, the cleanness gets transferred to you. That's how clean he is. And so he moves towards, but then he makes clean wherever he goes. Like this, there's two categories when we talk about sin. Guilt is the status of, of doing something wrong. It's guilt before God. But then out of that is this corruption, this brokenness. It's sickness. It's death. In Athanasius' book, he says, corruption robs us of our humanity. We become less human as we, as our bodies and our souls and our lives decompose. And Jesus, being the perfect human, brings humanity back to us when we engage with him. He doesn't become less human by touching something that's unclean. He makes it clean. If you're following along with our, with the Dwell Bible, uh, um, Devo for Advent, Every day there's a quote from a, um, from a church father. <laughs> this was day four or five this week. This is John Chrysostom. He's a fourth century preacher. He says, this was the single sentence quote that was on, the, on day four. A sublime, a, a fantastic being entered into relationship with such a lowly being does not harm his own reputation yet raises that other being up from its lowness. This is precisely what was fulfilled in Christ. That is exactly what is happening in this text. Jesus is moving towards, he's touching, restoring humanity where he goes. Jesus doesn't get dirty from what's wrong with you, he restores it. Jesus moves towards, Jesus, his, his cleanness is contagious. And then the third thing that he does is that he's not content to just distribute a miracle like he's a magician. And he's not just like, 
You have some cleanness, and you have some cleanness. Sorry, Oprah. Look what he does. Verse 30. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately, Mark's favorite word, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? Who touched my garments? And the disciples are like, uh, man, you're in a mosh pit. What do you mean, who touched my garments? And he looked around to see who had done it. See, one of the commentators I read said this, and it almost, this is almost all that needs to be said about this. In the kingdom of God, miracles lead to meeting. Jesus is not here to just pass out uncleanness and walk away. Jesus wants to look people in the eye and know them. He dignifies this woman that is completely undignified. Twelve years of sickness and uncleanness and impurity. And Jesus wants to look in her eyes and know her. Jesus is interested not in just passing out healing, not in just fixing the little thing that's broken with you. He doesn't want to just give you a miracle. He actually wants to know and be known, to know you and for you to know him and for you to be known by him. That's the Jesus that we find in this passage who has a heart to be with those who are broken and sick, to draw them back into their full humanity. So here's the challenge, and this is the prognosis, right? Because this is what happens The woman is healed, and she goes away. And then we return to the other side of the story, this esteemed ruler of the church. And Mark says that someone came from the ruler's house and told him that your daughter is dead. Just leave him, leave Jesus alone. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. He said, hey, Jairus, do you see what just happened? Do you see me move towards sickness? Do you see me touch that sickness and restore it? Do you see me know people? Do not fear, just believe. I almost feel like Jesus was almost definitely pointing to the woman and being like, did you see that? Do not fear, only believe. Against all odds, against everything that says to us, our sickness can't be cured. Our emotional sickness, our relational sickness, Our physical sickness can't be cured. Jesus says, do not fear, just believe. To believe only in what circumstances allow or to believe in the God who makes all things possible. That's the challenge of the text when we read this because we bring our own sickness to the story. And our greatest problem is that we don't believe that Jesus can fix it. We don't believe that Jesus can heal. And we see this clear picture of who Jesus is and what his heart is for those who are suffering and sick. That he moves towards us and he makes us clean and he wants to know us. So if you read this story and you, are, you identify with the woman, if you've suffered under many doctors in seeking help, seeking restoration, do, will you believe that Jesus is enough? that Jesus is there, that he loves you and overflows with mercy and compassion. And if you don't identify with the woman, it it may be that the first thing to work on is self-awareness. Because you're the same as the woman and I'm the same as that we are 
riddled with corruption and pain. We are dying and we need to come out of desperation to Jesus and believe that he has the power to heal. And this is what I want to close with. Mike, Mike's last week started with Advent. I want to close with Advent because I, I love this because this is part of the key to understanding how to apply this story. This is what Jesus says to the woman after he heals her. Verse 34, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This candle that we lit is called the peace candle because God is a God of peace. And this is the most important thing that Jesus can do for this woman. It's not to heal her of her sickness. That's not the most important thing. He does this in this case in order to demonstrate that he has the ability to give peace. But getting a miracle of fixing whatever the problem is is not the real thing that we are after. It's not the real thing that Jesus even gave to the woman. The real thing, the most important thing, is that he gave her peace. I just want to remind you of these passages that you probably know. Matthew 14. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. In Psalm 27, David writes, though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. See, not everybody gets healed of their disease. You're sitting here thinking, well, what does that mean for me? I just believe and then Jesus will heal my sickness just like he healed the woman's. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is that Jesus wants to be with us and extend us his peace in the middle of the suffering that we're in. Not everybody gets their sickness healed, but everyone can receive the peace of Jesus by being with Jesus, by believing. Do not fear, but believe and have peace. God is drawn towards weakness and brokenness. This is the consistent story of the scriptures. He doesn't gravitate towards your show of strength. He's not a God that sits in his office and tweets in all caps about how great he is. He doesn't do that. He's not that kind of a leader. He's at the bedside of the person who is broken and lowly and lonely and burnt out and despairing. He touches those who are unclean and he makes them clean. He wants to look you in the eyes and invite you to come and have peace with him. That's what this story is about. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being a God of peace who in the midst of a chaotic, broken, dying world um, is a physician that has what we really need, has what we're really after. So I pray now that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that we would look and believe that you are the great physician who brings peace to the world. We pray it in the name of Christ. Amen.